Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, church family. It is great to see everyone. I am so thankful um, for your presence with us this morning. My name is Barrett Bowden. I am lead pastor here at Island Community Church. If we've not had a chance to meet, I want to say welcome to you. I am so grateful for you. On behalf of our elder team, we just want you to know how much we truly appreciate your presence. Um, I know that there are many who are seeking churches in this season, and I do want you to know that we are a big church family. We were started, our church was started in a living room on Mud Island, uh, just a mile from here or so. And um, we were started to really bring people together around faith in Jesus Christ. And God has birthed this beautiful church family. And I pray this morning, no matter if you're a member or if you are Uh, just a guest with us today, if you're seeking to know more about this church or maybe even seeking to know more about God. If you're a thinker, you've got questions, you're curious this morning, we just want you to know that God welcomes you. He loves you so much. And we pray in some way today, in some small way today, that our welcome and our love for you might help you to know more of him. I'm really excited today uh, to have opportunity to get back into the book of Romans. Is anybody here excited about this? Uh, Today we are continuing what we typically do as a church family, and that is where we walk through books of the Bible together. We think sermons are best when they're not manufactured in human thought or clever stories. We think sermons are best when they open the Bible and they just walk through God's word. And so today, uh, we're going to be able to get back to the book of Romans, which we started together back in the fall. And so, as always, I just want to, from my heart to yours before I pray, uh, encourage you this morning that if you've got um, a way to engage with scripture, whether it's a digital copy on your phone, uh, maybe it's even just choosing to be really attentive to what's on the screens, and if you have a way to take notes and that's something that you believe would be a benefit to you, it's my heart this morning to not just have you think that I did a good job up here. I really want for you to know God's word. I really want you to live in it, and I really want you to be able to disciple someone else and what I'm discipling you in this morning. So find a way to engage, and I want to pray and ask for God's blessing uh, on this time as we continue worship together. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, God, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for your true and living word. Right now, we ask um, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, these are your words to us. Lord, you are real, and this word that you give us is real and it is needed. So God, we yield ourselves to you and we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in this time. May I decrease that you might increase. Jesus, may you be glorified. You're wonderful in every way. You are a glorious and gracious Savior. So God, we just see you for who you are and may you draw us to yourself. I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, if you got something to write with, the title of today's sermon is Righteousness Through Faith. And we are gonna be in Romans chapter four. Something just went berserk with my iPad. Y'all tell me what's going on. Okay. I do my best to be really tech savvy, you guys. 
So um, if this works, and it may not work, and that's okay. Um, let's see. It works. Um, what's so fun about this is I get to write on the screens. And so that may not be fun to you. It's very fun for me. It's okay if it's not fun for you. Um, but we've got it here. Righteousness through faith. We're going to be in Romans chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 25. And if you're counting, if you've got your Bible open to the book of Romans and you look at the last verse of Romans chapter 4, you'll notice the last verse is verse 25. So this is a clever way of me saying, we're studying the whole chapter. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, today, I want you to pay attention because I really believe that this word is for you. Today, we're going to be talking about together, what does it look like to live a life of faith? We're going to be discovering through our time together the one thing that God wants the most from you. And we're going to be discovering through our time together how it is that God puts people in right relationship with him. And some of y'all came this morning curious about that very question. Some of y'all came this morning with a burden or with guilt or with shame and you're wondering this morning, how is it that I could be put right, back right in relationship with God? And this morning as we talk about the passage, we're gonna discover together also what it means to really deeply trust in God. And I'm talking about the kind of trust in God that even like a, an anchored trust in God, that even when my, I, don't f I don't feel like I should trust in God or when my circumstances go awry, like many in this city, this city has experienced a lot of hardship in the last week. The Christian community in this city has experienced a lot of hardship in the last week. Some of you guys right now and your circumstances are going through a lot of hardship, even right now. So even when my feelings aren't there or my circumstances are there, how can I maintain a steadfast confidence in God? We're going to be looking at some of these things and more as we go into the chapter of our focus today, chapter four. So I really want you to pay attention. But before I do that, here's what I know. We have been away from Romans for two months and I believe that it could be helpful. I'm not talking about you necessarily. I know that you probably remember everything that we studied over the last year, right? You could give me every sermon outline. You could walk through every text perfectly. I'm talking about the person beside you, all right? So look to the person beside you and say, you might want to pay attention. He's about to do a review, all right? You can go ahead. You can tell him that. Um, just briefly, all right? So we're going to put a pause real quick on getting into chapter four because I want to make sure that you understand Always when we open the Bible, we want to remember that the, everything in the Bible has a context. So to understand the, the truth of any passage, you've got to look at the context. So one of the things I want to do real quick is just remind you. First, what we know is Romans was written, written by a guy named Paul. Paul, there in verse 1, calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. He has been radically transformed by Jesus. He was once an enemy of the followers of Jesus and Jesus shows up to Paul and radically changes his life. He is a man who says, everything I have is because of the grace of God given to me. I am the least deserving, but God has shown me the greatest grace. And he writes to those who are, what? In Rome. So we know he's writing to a faith community, and he's writing to this faith community who are located in Rome. Now, his heart is to communicate to them the gospel, Okay? He talks over and over and over again about 
the gospel. Now, if you were here in the fall, you should have memorized verses 16 to 17 of chapter 1. And I know you got it because it's hit long-term memory by now because we did it every week in the fall, right? So y'all say it with me. Try not to look at the screen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's right. Great job, you guys. Um, Paul says it's all about this. I'm writing unashamedly to talk to you about this word right here, the gospel. Now, what we know is um, this word, y'all remember, I'm going to make a quick little list in terms of review. Are y'all cool with this? Feel free to make this list with me. First of all, what we know is the gospel means what? Good news, literally. So we got to remember that when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about, he's saying, I'm here to give you news. The gospel is not advice. The gospel is news. Advice is about something that must be done. News is about something that has already been done. And Paul says, I come to tell you what God has already done. That's the first piece. The gospel is good news. Secondly, he says, it is the power of God. So the second thing for our list to remember what we're talking about, we're talking about the gospel is it's the gospel of what God has done. And really we could say what God can do. The gospel is all about God. It's not about what you need to do to save yourself. It's about who God is and what he can do to save you. Hey, friends, God can work powerfully in your life. Paul wants you to know God can work powerfully in your life, but you've got to abandon efforts to do anything yourself, and you've got to realize there's something that's been done, and it's all him. It's not you. You're not adding to the equation. It's all him. But if you let him, oh, he wants you to know what he can do. God has power, dunamis in the Greek, and he works with power for those who trust in him. All right, third, this power can result in here for salvation. So when he talks about the gospel, he's talking about the good news and announcement of what God has done and the direction of this is to save. It's to work powerfully in your life. It's it's to change you from the inside out. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about what is needed in the depths of who you are. Something that's beyond your behavior, you need a heart change. And we're talking about here, this is good news that God can do something in the depths of who you are to make you new. God can save. That's what we're talking about when he talks about the gospel. The power of God for salvation. Now, we also read to who? To everyone, right? So we have to remember that when Paul's been talking about the gospel, he's talking about it for all people. And this includes you. This is not, he's not talking about to those who are only of one race or only one class or only only one religious background or only one family structure, only one geopolitical nation. He's saying this is for everyone. 
And last he says, but there's a condition here, who what? Who believes. So we're talking about the gospel is the need to believe. Okay? So when Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, truly this is the heart of everything that this book is about. That you have to recognize he's going to be over and over again saying, I want you to know, I want to give you this news of what God has done, what he has done and what he can do to change you from the inside out. And I'm talking about you. Don't exclude yourself from that. This is available for you and anyone who hears this message. You need to believe. That's, God, that's Paul's passion and purpose as he writes this book. He wants you to know that the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ to save all who trust in him. And he wants you to know that this is foundational and it is transformational for your life with God. Not only right now, but also for tomorrow and for every day after. You have to get this because if you don't get this, you don't get life with God. This is it. So, you can tell why this book of Romans has been so important for us to study, why it's been so treasured in the life of our church uh, in this past season, and why I am pleading you this morning to continue to treasure the opportunity to hear God's word. Now, um, what we looked at in the fall, okay, this is the end of my review, so look to your neighbor and say, you need to listen because you're still reviewing, all right? Um, you don't have really to say it, I'm just messing. What we looked at in the fall were, were chapters one to three. We made a lot of progress, you guys. We got through three chapters. And in those three chapters, what we discovered were, were two major pieces of kind of this thesis from 116 and 17. Starting in chapter 1, verse 18, going through chapter 3, verse 20, what we realized as Paul spoke to us is really the reason that this is also important is because of how much need we have. Because see, all of us, every single one of us, is a sinner. And not just a small sinner, but really a, a large sinner. And Paul exposes our hearts. He helps us to realize that our problems deep within our hearts are bigger than any of us would like to admit. Sin goes so much deeper than our behavior. It affects our motivation. And what he tells us in chapter one is that really the root problem of all of our lives is that we have failed to glorify God. In other words, we failed to keep God at the center of everything. Although they knew God, he said in verse 21, they neither glorified him as God and they did not give thanks to him. And instead of God, what we did, all of us have done it, and some of us are still doing it, is we're putting ourselves at the center of everything rather than God. It's a great exchange. And yet we continue to need to worship something. It's how God made us. Our hearts have to go somewhere. But Paul said to us in Romans 1, instead of worshiping the creator, all of us started worshiping the created. And we chose created things to be our God. We denied God's control in our lives and we've chosen to live and for and worship instead things that only God can give. None of these things can get. We've exchanged, he says in verse 25 of chapter one, the truth of God for a lie. We've looked for other things to be our savior, our righteousness. 
And the thing is that all of us have ended up in a kind of bondage, haven't we? Because as we turn from God and we exchange God for other things, what we realized was these other things cannot give us joy. They cannot give us life. They cannot give us true freedom. They cannot give us all the things that really only God can give us. And yet we're in this horrible place because we've already turned upon God. And we are stuck with all the stuff that we've given him up for. And all of it is futile and all of it is fragile and all of it leads us to bondage. And yet we remain, because of our choice to abandon God, we remain squarely, he says. The result of all of this is that we remain squarely under God's condemnation. We know it. We know things are not right. And we know it's because of us. And that is the great problem of all of our lives. From the deepest part of who we are, how can things get be, be put back right again? And that's why, as we ended the fall, there was such a climactic, joyous moment as we look at chapter 3, verse 21 to 31, because as Paul sets up this deserved condemnation that all of us deserve, moral, immoral, religious, irreligious, all of us deserve condemnation because all of us have turned against God. And yet, as we get to chapter three, verse 21, what we read is, though we are great sinners, the good news of the gospel is that there is a God who loves you and who stepped in at a time and in a way you could have never asked for or deserved yourself. He stepped in to save you. While we are great sinners, the good news of the gospel is about Jesus. And he is a great savior. An even greater savior than any of your sin. Verse 21, if you look back in your Bibles, you're, you're turned to chapter four. I know you're eagerly awaiting the start of today's message. You're like, is he just gonna re-preach the fall? Is he ever gonna get to chapter four? Maybe. But if you look back up to verse 21, chapter 3, just above where you've got your finger for today's sermon, what we read as we close the fall, the final message, the final text of our fall series, says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through what? Faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. But God, don't you love those phrases in the scripture that describe our condition apart from God and our own sin and our own turning from him. But God in his mercy, but God in his kindness, but God in his grace, he has done what we so desperately needed but couldn't provide ourselves. See, the good news of God is that he is able. He is able to save, he is able to make us righteous, and he has given himself in Jesus Christ. He has given himself, he is a great redeemer. He is a justifier. He is one who can atone for your sins. He can stand in your place as your righteousness. He is an amazing savior for all who believe. So Paul has laid out this foundation 
And in the first part, he's talked about our deserved condemnation. But in this last part, he talked about God's gift, his undeserved grace. Because of his perfect obedience, we can receive perfect righteousness. And because of his willing death for our sins, we can receive perfect forgiveness. So Paul's pleading with us, all right? As we go into chapter four, we're about to turn the corner, okay? But he's pleading with us. First, do you see your need? Do you see it? In your gut, do you know it? Do you know how desperately you need God to make things right on your behalf? Not just as a one-time thing, but on a daily thing. Do you know how much you desperately need God and his grace? You need to know that. But then you also need to see not only your need, but his salvation. How wonderfully he has provided in his son Jesus for all who believe. So Paul lays out this foundation, all right? Everybody with me? Will you check in with your neighbor really quick and just say, you good? Can we move on, all right? So let's see, let's see if we move on, all right. So as we transition today, what I wanna do is from that place of foundation, I wanna move into chapter four, all right? And today's title, the sermon title, is Righteousness Through Faith. Now, what we know is that there are some lingering questions as we end chapter three. Lingering questions, perhaps, Certainly, for Paul was anticipating them from the readers he was writing to, and he was anticipating them even from the group we have in this room today. So, so wait a second. So you're talking about Paul, like this righteousness coming. I, I, I thought like the law was given so that we might obey and then have righteousness. Like, I don't really get that. Like, doesn't righteousness by faith, that's what you're saying, Paul, that this righteousness comes by faith? You said in chapter 1, verse 17, from faith, for faith. You're arguing about it here in chapter 3, 21 to the end. And I'm just wondering, though, like, I don't get how that squares with, like, what I read in the Old Testament. Like, that, if I think about our forefathers, like, I'm going, is this a, like, a whole different way of salvation? Like, is this, like, plan B? Because plan A didn't work. Like, this doesn't seem to square. And I just want to say, we here at ICC love thinking people. We love those who are curious and who ask questions of Scripture, who are trying to understand, is this really something that I can buy into, that I can believe? How am I supposed to know this is true? We love it. And Paul loves it. It's how he writes the book of Romans. He knows there's questions and he loves to provide answers. So let me just go into chapter four this morning, and I want you to know that if you've got questions this morning coming out of these first three chapters, you're in good company, and the word of God is gonna try to address this morning the very questions that you have, and I want to help expose those answers too. So in your Bibles, chapter four, starting in verse one, and I read from the ESC. We're gonna read the whole chapter. Strap in your seatbelt. Here we go. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one who God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing them only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still circumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the father of the circumcised who were not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world didn't come through the law but through the righteousness of faith For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, well, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. For as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This is God's word. That alone could stand as a sermon, all right? It is just good. Y'all agree? Isn't it good just to receive God's word? This morning, my aim is to help you understand more of what God has spoken in this passage, Romans 4, 1 to 25. 
And what I want to go ahead and encourage you to do is write down our main point for this morning. Our main point is this. God gives righteousness to all who transfer their complete trust to Jesus. Living dependently by faith in him. God is a generous God. He is a gracious God. He is a good God. And he is a God who is ever giving an incredible gift, the gift of righteousness, being right with him. And he gives this gift of righteousness to everyone who does this, who transfers. All of us have trust. But here's what's got to happen. Deep, deep down in our trust, we've got to transfer our complete trust to Jesus. We've got to put all of our trust in Jesus. And then we go on living dependently upon him. All right? So that is our main point this morning. God gives righteousness to all who transfer their complete trust to Jesus, living dependently by faith on him. So the lingering questions that were there at the start of chapter three, Paul seeks to answer, all right? Wait, righteousness by faith? How does this square with what I know from the Old Testament? How does this square with my forefathers? And here's what he does. He basically brings into the courtroom, so to speak. He brings into the conversation. Let's imagine we're sitting in conversation. And we have been, let's say, talking back and forth about different truth statements. And all of a sudden, Paul stops and says, hey, can we just, let's stop just arguing for a second. And I just want to give you, I just want to tell you a story. All right? Sometimes we just need good stories. You know what I'm talking about? And Paul walks into the room or into the conversation, a case study. That's what he's doing in chapter four. And he's going, can we just talk for a second about Abraham? All right? Now, this is such a big deal because, I'll tell you in a second, Abraham is such a big deal in the Old Testament. He's such a big deal for Jewish people and the religious of Paul's day who were trying to work all this stuff out. And for many who have studied the Old Testament today, here in this room, you know the prominence that Abraham has. We'll talk about it more in just a second. But what Paul is basically doing in this chapter is he's basically trying to say, God has always justified, in other words, made right, made people righteous, made people right with himself. He has always justified all people in the same way. He's always done it the same way. He's not on plan B now because plan A didn't work. In fact, plan A from the beginning was a righteousness that comes through faith. So there's only one God and there's only one way that our one God has always made people right with himself. And that one way is through faith. So if you want to know, remember I said earlier this morning, if you're interested in discovering, if you came in with shame or guilt, came in with some questions about how can I be right with God, if you want to know how you can be right with God, now, tomorrow, forever, it looks like learning to trust him. God wants Faith, that's how he makes people right with himself and he's always done it that way. Now, there's a lot to get into because obviously it's not enough just to say this, we have to prove this. Like I said, we like thinkers and Paul's engaging this morning your mind and he also wants to, he wants God to work in your heart because if you can understand this and really embrace it, then you're really gonna know what you need to yield your heart to for God to work in a gracious way. 
So, case study, Abraham. Y'all, anybody ever grow up in a church Sunday school class? Anybody ever heard the song, Father Abraham? Y'all sing it with me. Had many sons, men. I can't believe we're really doing this. This is, y'all are beautiful. And I am one of them. And so are you. Wow, a lot of people in Sunday school. So let's just praise the Lord. I don't know what right arm had to do with anything. God doesn't want your right arm or your left arm, okay? I don't know what that's about. But anyway, okay. I, I did that illustration um, with great risk and turned out well. But because um, I thought I was going to be the only one singing up here. But apparently we have more Sunday school people than I realized. So um, I don't remember why I did that. I, I think I did it because I wanted to, to, to prove that Abraham has had such an important role in the history of those who have believed. He had such an important role in the Old Testament and among Jewish people. He is really known as a hero. He's known as the father of the Jews. In fact, write down these references, Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3, some of you already know this, but it was to Abraham that God said, Go from your country and your country and your father's house to the land I'm going to show you. I'm going to make of you a great nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great so that you're going to be a blessing and I'm going to bless those who bless you and those who dishonor you, I'm going to curse and in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. He's known as the father of the Jewish people, the father of the nation, hugely important character. God chose him here in Genesis 12 to be a recipient of his blessing. Of course, he was married to Sarah, and he was given this promise that through him would come land and would come a nation, a huge family, these these descendants that would spread out through the earth, and there would be this worldwide blessing that came through him. Hugely important guy. And we read in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, another reference for you to mark, very important reference for you to mark, particularly in this chapter. If you don't have this reference in your head already, connect it to Romans 4, very important. Romans 15, 6, and he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So what we see here is that Abraham responded to God, and he was known as, if, listen, so the question is, why study Abraham, right? Why does Paul invoke Abraham here in the middle of talking about Jesus and the righteousness of faith that comes to all who trust in Jesus? Let's talk about Abraham for a second. Why? Why is this? Well, of all people in the Old Testament, everybody knew his life was a life that was worthy of imitation. All right? If there's anybody we're going to look up to, we're going to make right arm, left arm songs about the guy, okay? We're obviously, he's an important guy. Like he's a guy that we know, like he was right with God. We know that if there's anybody righteous, like this guy had it figured out. Like this guy had God's blessing on him. This guy obviously, like at the end of his life, like he's good with God. But the big question that we got to ask is what? How? 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 How was this guy right with God? Now, in Paul's day, there were a lot of people who thought that Abraham was right with God because of his works of righteousness. But Abraham is asking you to be a thinker this morning, and he is going to ask you to go on a little journey with him. Because in fact, the way that Abraham was right with God 
is all about one central word that this sermon is going to be about over and over and over again. Anybody have any guesses? Faith. Faith. Now, we're going to look at three, the three reasons here in this passage that Abraham tells us that Abraham was right with God. And all three of them are going to start by faith, okay? Paul is going to drill home for us that Abraham was right with God by faith, by faith, by faith. And in three different contrasts, he's going to say it's faith, not this, faith, not this, faith, not this. And the first of these contrasts is he's saying here in verses one to eight, Abraham, think about a story. He was right with God by faith and not by works. Point number one, Abraham was right with God by faith and not by works. Okay? He says here in verse 1, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So what he's saying here, I'm going to stop here in verse 2. He's going, can you imagine? I mean, here is Abraham, a pagan before this moment in Genesis chapter 12, Paul's kind of like, how ludicrous does it seem for Abraham to get to God one day and be like, wow, like I was so awesome. I did such a great job. Like, I'm, aren't you so glad God you picked me? How silly would that be? No, Abraham has absolutely nothing to boast about before God. And then he gets to verse three and he asks you to think, for what does the scripture say? Remember when I told you you need to make note of the reference from Genesis chapter 15, what verse was it? Six, that's right, some of y'all are with me. Literally, Genesis 15, six says exactly what Paul quotes, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now this word counted right here Okay, that Paul references right here in verse three is a hugely important word. In the Greek, it is an accounting word, okay? So uh, yesterday, uh, there was a group of folks at my house celebrating a friend of ours who just graduated graduate school. We're happy for her. There was a guy that I was uh, talking to in my kitchen for a while, first time I'd ever met him, and I said, hey, what do you do? He goes, I'm an accountant. And I said, cool. And he looked at me like, really? Um, I don't think you'd ever seen somebody so excited to be talking to an accountant, especially during springtime. Y'all know what I'm talking about? In my head, though, was this passage for today. How cool is this? It's an accounting word. So it's literally to, like, to credit. If you know counting principles, it's essentially to, to, to make a credit or to confer a status of something that was not there before that now you're, you're actually crediting someone's account. It's used multiple times in these passages. Verse three, verse four, verse five, verse six, verse nine, verse 11, verses 22, verse 23, and verse 24. Same word, over and over and over. Think it's an important word? The answer would be, Thank you. Yes. Um, the answer would be yes. It's hugely important because it's helping us to know the way in which God works. 
So here, Paul's saying, it's not by anything that Abraham did. Rather, it's by something that God did. See, Abraham believed the Lord. It's by faith. And upon his faith, God credited to his account. He conferred on him right standing with himself. God put Abraham in a brand new kind of relationship, a relationship defined by being right forever with him. Abraham trusted the Lord and simply by Abraham yielding his heart over to the Lord, he transferred his complete trust onto God. And the moment he did that, before Abraham did anything, God credited to him righteousness. Do y'all see it? So what Paul's saying here, it's not by works. Not that at all. It's simply by God's grace. In fact, he goes on here in verse four and he says, to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, not as a gift, but as his due. But, and to, excuse me, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So what he's saying here is, look, when a person goes to work, some of you guys are workers, right? And you go to work and your employer, your employer gives you a wage, that's not considered a gift. And the reason you know it's not a gift is because if they don't give you your wage, you're not gonna go, no, that's totally fine. I mean, I didn't deserve that anyway. You're gonna walk up to the human resources department or to the financial office, and you're gonna say, excuse me, there was no direct deposit this month. That's all you know. It's not a gift, that's what you earn. Wages are not credited. In other words, they're not just given freely because they're given based on something that's owed. They're given based on an obligation, but that's not the way God gives. God doesn't give on the basis of obligation. God gives on the basis of his grace. Therefore, it has nothing to do with anything that Abraham is owed, and it has all to do with what God is willing to give. Don't think about how to be right with God on the basis of, I do this, and then God will do that. No, it's not like that at all. There's nothing that you do for God to be owed his grace. Grace is grace. It is a gift. It is a gift. It is a gift. It's not on the basis of anything that you do. It's all on the basis of what he does and what he is willing and able to give to the one who does one simple thing, puts their complete faith in him. It's huge that you understand this. Well, in case you are sitting there listening to Paul over Starbucks coffee and you're like, okay, Paul, thanks for bringing up Abraham, but like, this is still hard. Like, I don't know if I'm with you. Paul goes, okay, hang with me for a second because can we talk about David? Oh, David, oh. We're just pulling out all the big ones today. You know, it's like, I don't know, but maybe two or three others that everybody knows in the Old Testament. Okay, let's talk about David. And Paul uses David as another conversational point here as we're thinking together around, really, how can we be sure that this is the way that God makes us right with him? I mean, if you're going to put all of your trust in this 
you got to know that you know that you know that this is truly how, who God is and how he operates. So Paul goes, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about David. And he brings David up here in verse 6 of chapter 4. Just as David, Paul says, also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Now here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to ask you to go back and think about a scripture that you probably know from the Old Testament from Psalm chapter 32. That's where these next verses are from. It's a direct quote. Because he quotes David and he says, you remember when David says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered? Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So what Paul says is, uh, like, don't you know, David? Like, this is after one of his terrible sins with Bathsheba. You think David is right with God. You think he believed that he was right with God because he was such a good person? Because he was so godly and everything? Because he was the true and perfect example of what righteous living was all about? No. David knew that there was only one way for him to be right with God. Yeah, David was a godly man. Yes, he had a man after God's heart. And I'm not trying to discount any of the good and godly things that David did and the trajectory, the overall pattern of his life. But deep down in his heart, what Paul's trying to discover is where was David's trust? Was David's trust in his good works for God or was David's trust in God's grace toward him? And what Paul is doing here is bringing up Psalm 32 to help you see that David understood that God gave a righteousness that was completely apart from him. And what he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. In other words, there's a, there's a forgiveness of sin and an imputation, a crediting of righteousness that's completely apart from work. And he says, blessed is the one who God does not count their sin against us. There's no mention of works in this psalm. None at all. David sees himself and he sees us as undeserving, but he is convinced. He's convinced that he knows who God is. God, I know that you're one who, though I don't deserve it, you give undeserved grace. And so therefore, God, I'm taking all of my trust and I'm putting it in you because I know that you are one who forgives who cleans, who makes new, who gives righteousness to those who are not righteous. God, I know you, therefore I'm putting my trust in you. Do you see? This is by faith and not by works. The second thing that Paul wants you to see is that Abraham was made right not only by faith, not by works, but secondly, by faith and not by religious ceremony. He was made right with God by faith and not by religious ceremony. Now, there's some question here that comes up in verse nine. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It, it, 
the, the question comes up, and it's a natural question. Okay, um, you know, for a Jewish person to be made right with God, they would have to obey the law and be circumcised. It was one of the primary marks of righteousness in their eyes. It's ones who would hear God's instruction for the males to be circumcised, and they would go through with that. And that made them a distinct people. People prided themselves on their adherence to this law, and it made them distinct among other people who had not followed this law. And the question then comes, a natural question for thinking people, well, how does that play into this? Because, I mean, like, I thought that Abraham was, like, really serious about God, and he obeyed that law. He was circumcised, and I thought that mattered. Like, that counted for something. Are you saying then that that didn't matter? Good question. Paul answers his question, and perhaps your question, when he says this at the end of verse 10. He draws attention to the order. Because the question is not, did it matter? It may have mattered for something, but the question he's wrestling with here is, does it matter in terms of being right with God. And what Paul says is, think. It is not after, but when? Before that he was circumcised. So, what he's asking you to realize is that the order of Abraham's faith journey is as follows. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. God gives Abraham a promise. That's the verse we read earlier. And Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, those are the two verses I've already referenced today. What do we learn? God counts Abraham's faith as what? Righteousness. But the question becomes, where then and when then does Abraham get circumcised? Was it before or after he was counted as righteous? And Paul answers the question by drawing thinking minds back to the order of the narrative of Genesis because it's not until Genesis chapter 17 that the instruction of circumcision is even given. And the reason that this matters is because what Paul has just basically proven to you is that God saw Abraham's faith, Genesis 15, 6, and it was credited to him at that moment as righteousness. Everybody agree that that's what that verse says, right? But then 10 to 15 years, by our estimation, passes between Genesis 15 and Genesis 17. 10 to 15 years later, God gives the instruction of circumcision. So what we find is, that God makes people right with himself. He gives righteousness truly, simply on the basis of faith. And that circumcision doesn't add anything to his standing with God. Because his standing with God is determined by the moment that he puts his complete trust in God. At that moment, God gives complete righteousness. And when it's complete righteousness, friends, you don't add to it. Y'all tracking with me? Like if God credits your account in full, like you can't get fuller than full. So what he's saying is like, 
It wasn't like he was saved in part in Genesis 15 and then saved a little bit more in Genesis 17. No, Abraham was made right with God. He was saved when he trusted God. His circumcision 10 to 15 years later, that didn't add to his salvation. Therefore, how was Abraham right with God? By faith and not by religious ceremony. Now, we don't have circumcision today, but we have a lot of things like baptism, Does that add to salvation? We have a lot of things like church attendance. We have a lot of things like mission trips, local ministry outreaches, service opportunities. We have a lot of things that today could tempt us in the same ways of thinking, if I do this, if I add to that, if I get my child dedicated, if I sprinkle water, if I get dunked, if I join the church, if they've got my record on file, X, Y, and Z, then it might add something. It might add something. Maybe that increases my salvation. It increases my right standing with God. And Paul said, "Uh uh-uh. There's only one way to be made right with God, and it's by faith. So trust Jesus. Put your complete trust in Jesus, and when you do that, you're righteous in his eyes. He gives righteousness to you by faith. Oh, there's joy in other things. And that's why he goes on to say, okay, but... For those who are curious, uh, so then what do I do with circumcision? What do I do with baptism? What do I do with mission? I mean, does any of that matter? And Paul goes, of course it matters. He received it as though you have to remember the difference, a sign and as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith when he was still circumcised. Sure, it mattered, but what really mattered was the inward reality. It's the same way that my marriage, friends, is not this ring. There's a substance of marriage that you can't see. Now, I can put this ring on, and when the real substance of marriage is there, this ring starts to mean something. But this ring, if I just throw it on the floor, I'm sorry, Michelle, that's very rude. (laughs) If I just toss it and just you randomly found it, that ring may not mean anything to you. It means something. It becomes a symbol of something only because behind the symbol there is a real substance of a covenant relationship. But apart from the substance, the symbol is meaningless. Friends, what he's saying is what really matters is where your heart is. Is there substance in your relationship with God? Have you transferred your complete trust to him? Because otherwise that baptism is just a ring lying on the floor. It does, the symbol doesn't matter apart from the substance, but when the substance is there, the symbol can take meaning. The sign is important, but friends, what you've got to realize, it's not the basis. It's not the basis of a right standing. Yes, serving. Yes, belonging in the church. Yes, being baptized. Yes, any other work of obedience. Yes, it is good, and it is important. But friends, what Paul wants to make sure about is that you are not basing your sense of right relationship with God on those things, but rather on God himself and his grace and his ability to justify in Jesus Christ. Amen? And it matters greatly that in our heart there is faith. The purpose of all of this was to fling open the doors For the Jewish people to realize it's not about just those who you can circumcise or not. It's not about that at all. God wants all people to believe. 
He wants all people to believe. So whether or not you have the physical ability to get in a tank and us baptize you, though we do believe that's what God would want for you, even if you cannot physically do that, I can tell you with assurance that you will still be saved. Because your salvation is not on the basis of your baptism, it's on the basis of Jesus Christ, a savior, and the finished work that he has done for you. And you can add anything else to that list. So listen, it's to fling open the door, it's to stop our legalistic judgmentalism and recognize that it's all about Jesus and it's all about his grace. And so we welcome, we welcome, we welcome people on the basis of shared faith in Jesus. That is Paul's point. And to make Abraham the father of the circumcised, yes, those too, but those who are circumcised not just with the flesh, but who walk in the footsteps of the faith that he had in his heart. Real circumcision, what God wants. In another place in the Old Testament, he says, I have, you thought that it was only about your flesh, but what I wanted was to circumcise your heart. It's always been about the heart. So, Abraham was right with God. He was right by faith and not by works. He was right by faith and not by religious ceremony. And last but not least, he was right by faith, number three, and not by the law. He was right by faith and not by the law. This is verses 13 to 17. Now, wait a second, though. I mean, what about the law? I mean, like, didn't Abraham, like, obey God's law? Are you trying to say we're just going to throw out the law, the perfect law of God, and pretend like that's not important? <laughs> Paul says, well, it's a good question. For the promise of Abraham, he says in verse 13, and his offspring, that he would be the heir of the world, did not come through the law. Again, it's not saying the law is not important, but the question is, what is the basis of saving faith? What's the basis of righteousness, excuse me? And the answer is saving faith, not the law. It came through righteousness of faith. Galatians chapter three, Paul repeats this another place in verse 17 and 18. I, I would just encourage you to make a note of that. Again, I'm trying to help you be a student of scripture to connect the pieces. I think it's a great joy to have a church body that is eager to learn the scripture in a way that you're making these connections. Paul says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. He's talking here about Abraham and then the coming of the law. He's saying again, order matters. God promised Abraham he was righteous and that didn't come through the law. In fact, the law was not given. We talked earlier about circumcision 10 to 15 years later. Now we're talking about 430 years later. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Here, Paul's referring to this promise. For this promise, the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he'd be the heir of the world, didn't come through the law, but righteousness through faith. For if the adherents of the law, who were able to be the heirs, faith is null, and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but when there is no law, there's no transgression, and that's why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring. In other words, what Paul here is saying is, think back to what God said. God didn't say, obey this law and I will bless you forever. Rather, what God said was, believe me, 
Transfer all of your trust to me. Believe me, I'll bless you forever. So Paul is appealing to the promise that God made to Abraham. And he's saying not only to the hearing of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith in Abraham, who is the father of us all. For as it is written, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed. Look, this was not just for him, but this was for everyone who would come after him. In other words, what he's saying is you also can be a part of Abraham's family. Do you know that? Like, do you know that this promise to Abraham and to his family can now include you? This can be for you. Because it's not about those who adhere to the law, it's about those who believe his promise. Is adherence to the law important? Absolutely, and we'll talk about it later in Romans. If you really love the Lord, if you really transfer your trust and treasure him with everything, you will follow him. But the question here is, what is the basis of our righteousness? What is the basis of our righteousness? And the basis of our righteousness is trust in a God who saves the unrighteous by his grace. That is what Paul is trying to get across. So Abraham was made right with God, friends. He was made right with God, and the question is, how was he made right with God? He's walked Abraham in as a case study, right? He's walked Abraham into our conversation, and he's asking you to think. And he's saying, I want you to think about it. The questions that you have are good questions, and you have to wrestle with the question, am I going to transfer my complete trust to God in this way? Am I going to believe the Lord? And what Paul's saying, think about it. Think about how he was made righteous and realize that he was made righteous by faith. Yes, there are other theories out there. There are other religious systems out there. There are other people who will tell you, oh, but you need to work and do this a little bit. God gives to those who deserve it. God will settle the score in the end. He'll give according to your work. Make sure the scales of justice are tilted in your favor. Make sure that you've done enough, that your good outweighs the bad. There are people out there who will say, oh, but you need to make sure you're baptized, or you need to be in a church, and you need to do good work. And I'm not trying to discount any of those things, but they're talking to you in a way that makes you feel as if, or maybe they're actually saying to you, the basis of you being right with God is doing these ceremonial religious things. And there are people out there who would say, Oh, I am sweating it out because I read the word and I see all these instructions and these rules and my life just doesn't measure up and how am I ever gonna, oh, I've gotta obey, I've gotta obey, obey. I'm not trying to say obedience doesn't matter, but the question is, is it the basis of the way God saves? And what Paul is saying is as you wrestle with those things, you have to think about Father Abraham. Because Abraham was made right with God. If there's anybody in the Old Testament we know was made right with God, it was him. And his life was given to us as an example to follow. And he was made right with God by faith. It wasn't through his work. It wasn't through his ceremonial observances. It wasn't through his obedience to the law. No, he was made right with God because he transferred his complete trust from self and anything else to God and God alone. And God counted him righteous. God gave him a promise, a promise of grace. And Abraham believed his promise, and he was counted righteous. And the same can be so of you. As I close this morning, I want to 
give you a practical next step. Because I know with some of these passages in Romans, sometimes it can feel heady and we do want to be thinkers and it can feel sometimes very rooted in history and we do want to root ourselves in history, but we also have to apply it to today. And that's why Paul gives us these closing verses and I want to close by giving you some practical pastoral exhortations for you to take home with you today and to talk about perhaps even this week in small group because the question is, now that we know he was made right on the basis of faith, what kind of faith did he have and what kind of faith do we need to have? The first kind of faith is a hope-filled faith. Because in verse 18, we read that in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations for as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Friends, um, true faith is a faith that hopes in the middle of hopelessness. True faith, I mean, from a worldly perspective, friends, there's no grounds on which Abraham would have ever thought, I could be confident that we're going to have children. (laughs) The thing is, though, that Abraham... Though he didn't like, have confidence in his flesh, he had confidence in God. Abraham believed that God could do what was humanly impossible to do, and God blessed his faith. Some of us are in situations right now where the circumstances that you're in, you go, hmm, I'm not really sure. Friends, those who have deep faith, if you want to imitate Abraham, don't look at circumstance as the basis of hope. Look at God. Look at who he is. Look at what he's able to do. Look at what he's promised. True faith is hope-filled faith. Secondly, it's an unwavering faith. I want to encourage you today. Listen, if you're in a hopeless situation, you can have hope in God. And, and if, for those who are hoping in God, don't stop hoping in God. That's what I mean by unwavering. Don't stop hoping in God. Because we read here in verse 19 and 20, it says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, because he's about 100 years old. Y'all go to the retirement home and say, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And they're going to look at you like, huh? And yet that's Abraham's condition. And that's Sarah's condition. We consider the barrenness of her womb. And yet, read this verse in 20. Y'all read it with me. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. It's one, person to, one thing to start out in faith, but it's another thing to continue in faith. Abraham remained steadfast, even though he and his wife, their bodies were like, according to the Bible, I'm not trying to make fun of them, nearly dead. But he did not drift because he knew the Lord. And he knew that if God said something, he could take it to the bank. No distrust made him waver. He heard the promise of God and he believed the promise of God and he held on to the promise of God and he grew strong in faith Hebrews 10, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope 
It's a picture of in the middle of a hurricane, you find the strongest thing you hold on to. And in the middle of your own swirling feelings, in the middle of your own broken circumstances, friends, we have an anchor to hold on to. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. The reason I believe is not because of anything in me or anything that I see in my circumstance or even sometimes how I feel. The reason I believe is because I know the Lord and I know he is trustworthy. Don't stop believing. And I don't mean to quote from a journey song. (laughs) But they did get that part right. Don't stop hoping in God. Keep hoping, persevere in faith. The third characteristic of faith that I want you to imitate is God-glorifying faith. God-glorifying faith. I want you to think about this this week. Talk about your kitchen table today or in a restaurant or in your small group this week because one of the things that he says here, he grew strong in his faith and he did what? He gave glory, he says. He gave glory to God. This is so important because when we truly trust in God and what spills over to everyone around us Everyone around us, we will reek of God. True faith in God in no way points to myself, in no way points to anything in my circumstance, in no way points to other people. True faith in God always points to God. And so Abraham, as he trusted the Lord, he reeked of the Lord. He's, you could imagine listening to Abraham pray late at night by his bed. Oh, Lord, I know that you're truthful. Oh, Lord, I know that you're faithful. Oh, God, I know that you're loving. Oh, God, I know that you're a keeper of your promise. You could hear the conversations as people asked him, are you sure he gave you that promise? And make fun of him. Ah, are you kidding me? You're good as dead, Abraham. But the Lord is faithful. I know he's faithful. I know he's kind. I know who he is. Abraham reeked of God. He gave glory to God. And true faith does the same. Another mark of faith is a confident faith. A confident faith. We read this in verse 21 that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Listen, friends, I can say this plainly. Faith has its eyes set on God, and faith takes God at his word. Set your mind and your heart on facts about God, and fill your mind and your heart with the truth of his word. And when you do that, you will grow in confidence because your confidence is not resting on yourself or your circumstance. Your confidence is resting on truly who God is and what God has said. I believe we have room to grow in knowing more of who God is and what God has said. You wanna grow in faith? You gotta grow to learn God more and you gotta grow to learn his word more. Last but not least, A mark of faith is a blessing. Verse 22 says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The reason I say it's blessing is because Hebrews 11.6, remember one of the questions I said at the very beginning, we're gonna discover today what God wants most from you. Hebrews 11.6, without faith is impossible to please God. Because you gotta know, you gotta know, that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. God gives blessing 
I'm talking blessing like you've never seen. Keep trusting God because God pours out blessing. Yes, the blessing of salvation, if that's for you today, you can trust Jesus and he'll pour out his undeserved grace upon you. Simply by you transferring your complete trust from self to Jesus, he will bless you with salvation, but he'll also bless you in all areas of life and godliness as you continue to depend wholly on him by faith. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. We studied Abraham, but I close this morning by asking about you. Because at the end of the passage, Paul says that the words that was counted were not written for his sake only, but it was also for you. Because it's going to be counted to you, to us, who believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered for our trespasses and raised for our justification, that same righteousness that was counted to him that we just studied can also be counted to you. And I just ask a question. I told you that God gives righteousness to everyone who transfers their complete trust to Jesus and lives dependently by faith in him. Is that you? There's a lot of people here who are not saved, and today could be a day of salvation for you. Today, friends, I want to baptize a lot of people this spring. Not because baptism does anything for our church or makes you more right, but because baptism is a celebration of the undeserving grace of Jesus to bring new life to those who believe. There are people today, oh man, what a joyful thing it would be today if you said, I'm ready. I, I, I hear it. God's working in my heart. I'm ready to transfer all of my trust to Jesus. I need to be right with God, and I know I can't do it by works and by religious ceremonies or by law. I want Jesus. Friends, today is the day of salvation. He can forgive your sin, and he can give you righteousness. He can make you new. He lived for you. He died for you, and he is alive for you today, and he will come again. Put your trust in Jesus, and there are many here today who I really believe you're just in the middle of life and circumstance and you've believed once and you need to keep on believing because your God is a God who is faithful. Amen? Amen. Hold on to faith. Father, please, by your Holy Spirit, would you work in this room as we respond to you now with song and an invitation to come and pray. I pray, God, that you would be working with great power. Lord, thank you for how you give and you give and you give of yourself so generously, so graciously. Father, Thank you for this life that you've invited us to, a life of faith. Lord, I pray today, Lord, you know the hearts of folks I don't. Lord, the question remains, where is our trust? Father, the thing you want the most from us is for us to completely, wholly depend on you, trust in you. You want our hearts so, Father, I pray right now that you would hear cries for salvation. Lord, that you would work with might to save. That you would hear cries for renewal and you would work to restore. Oh, Father, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us right now that we might be restored to be a people who lives dependently, trusting in you. You who promised are faithful. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. 
For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.